0: Bible was written certainly by God through human authors, all of them men. At least uh, all the ones that we know for sure are credited. Uh, they're they're to men from the perspective of men, and so a lot of times, even as the stories might be about male main characters. We have to take some of the strong female roles in those stories and, and intentionally look at it from their perspective because they have unique views, unique characteristics, unique things that they go through that God uses to bring glory to himself. And so that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Joe did a great job with Esther a couple weeks ago. Uh, last week we were just on Facebook Live and we talked about the Shunammite woman from uh, uh, Elisha's story. So today, another one. Before I get too deep, I need to take a little bit of a poll. We're going to have a little bit of fun. It's kind of of fun to mess with different personalities every once in a while. So um, I'm going to ask for your preference on a couple things, and I'm going to need you to raise your hands based on what your preference is, okay? So it's going to be A or B. And now this is, I'm not talking about like your preferred thing because life doesn't always match up with what our preferences are, but... uh, uh, Yeah, so I want your preferred, not how it actually lines up. Real life doesn't always match up with our preferences, so I just need your natural inclinations. So do you prefer, A, a sit-down family dinner, or B, a little bit of chaos, kind of grab and go? So raise your hand if you prefer a nice sit-down family dinner. Everybody's around the table. Okay, about 50%. So raise your hand then if you prefer a little bit of chaos. You're grabbing the food. I want my pizza in front of the game. Uh, We're headed to practice, so give me a hot pocket, and we're out the door. All right, that's less than... Okay, so definitely more people prefer the sit-down. I imagine that even if you prefer the sit-down, it doesn't necessarily happen as often as you like, right? You don't get the family all around the table very often. Okay, second thing. Similar comparison. How many of you prefer A... A nice, neat, organized closet. Or you're like me and you prefer B, something a little bit more messy. Again, grab and go. So how many prefer A, organized? Oh, my, almost everybody. All right, messy closet. Grab and go. All right, fun fact, I don't have a dresser. Very few of my clothes are hanging. I put them in piles on shelves in our closet so I can see them all. Like, oh, I think I'll take that. And then I just dig through them every day. It's kind of a cool deal. So I'm definitely on the B side. All right, next one: How many of you prefer a a clean car, or just garbage all over the car? You finish your McDonald's and it goes in the back seat. So give me clean cars. And almost everybody. Okay, I prefer a clean car as well. I have two kids though, so it doesn't always happen. How many of you just like just throw it in the back seat? Just a dirty, messy car. All right, we we seem to have a very organized, clean church here. So fantastic. All right, last one. How many of you prefer either a quiet night with a book or just party all night long with people? Who wants the quiet night on the couch with a book? Leave me alone. I've had a rough day. Maybe a glass of wine. I don't know. Okay, I can say wine. We're a non-denominational church. It's okay. Don't worry about it. All right, how many of you prefer just people, people, people? Give me a Friday night. It's crazy. Lots of people. All right, all right. We have a very relational, clean organized church. Fantastic. That doesn't match up with your pastor at all. So I don't know what has happened there. But all that is, it's a little bit of preferences. It's a little bit about your wiring, a little bit about personality. And uh, what it does is it kind of sets us up to talk about two sisters that we're going to meet in the Gospels today. Uh, and these sisters, they're like you and me. They live like us. They act like us, they handle social situations like us, they kind of represent, uh, the story we're going to read represents some common life situations and some of our common responses to those situations. And these sisters were put in one of those situations with Jesus in the room, and and Jesus used it to extend not only a reminder to us, but an invitation to us. Okay, so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to talk about Martha and Mary. All right, if you have been around church for any amount of time in your life, you've probably heard some sermon or Sunday school lesson on Mary and Martha. This is the Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus was the gentleman that Jesus raised from the dead at one point in their lives. Uh, Martha's the older sister. And how many of you have older sisters? Okay, older sister, also known as second mom, right? Uh, So she plays that role very well. These two sisters are believers. They're not only followers of Jesus, but they're very close friends of Jesus. And so as we get into their interaction, uh, as he challenges them a little bit, I don't want you to think of this in the way that he would challenge the Pharisees, where he is just rebuking them. He's just taking them to task. That's not what this is. It's also not like the disciples, where the disciples and Jesus, he kind of has some of those shaking-my-head moments, like, I can't believe you still think that after all these days. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe this isn't that. These are close friends. And so when Jesus challenges them, it's an encouragement. It's a friendly sharpening. So that's the tone uh, of what we're going to be looking at that. So I want to read the situation and then go back through it and kind of take out what we need to today um, from Luke chapter 10. So Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, just kind of a quick interaction here. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me.'" Imagine talking to the Savior of the world this way. But that's Martha. And Jesus goes, "'Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed.'" and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not It will not be taken from her. So there's some, there's some dynamics at play here, some of them obvious, some of them a little bit more subtle, some of them we read into it, sometimes a little bit too much, but I'll get there in a second. But it helps us understand the situation and ultimately what Jesus is teaching. So first, let's take Martha. Martha is the doer, right? She's task-oriented. She's active. She's getting the job done. She's getting everything ready. Now, this is not a flaw. This is not a character flaw. This is simply, for her, how she shows value to her guests. It's how she expresses value, so it's fine. Um, Brian, you reacted to that like it was a wolf coming after me, like just a sweet, cute little girl. It's going to be... Oh, I don't know her. <laughs> uh, I'll take that uh, as some under advisement. All right, so she's... She's the doer. Now, here's the thing you have to keep in mind with Martha. She's also the owner of the home, and so coming with that are certain responsibilities that you have to your guests, especially in this time period. So for her, as the owner of the home, when guests are coming in for a gathering or a dinner or a party, she would need to greet them at the door, bow a little bit, greet them with a kiss, give them priority, in the house, like they're number one. You you release your priority as the owner and give it to them as the guest. You would remove the sandals from their feet and wash their feet. You would anoint their head with oil. This showed them value. It showed that you were not just fine with them being there, but you were overjoyed to have them there. And then it would fill your house and your guests with a nice, pleasing aroma. So that was all part of it. You would also need to provide fresh water, which wasn't just a run to the kitchen sink. This may have been a trip to the well, wherever that was, for fresh, cold water. You would prepare a meal for them. And now that wasn't just throw something in the microwave. That often meant making fresh bread from scratch without the nice little easy-bake oven that some of you had as you've been experimenting with bread-making during the quarantine, right? So, So this involved a lot of different things, all of this, even for an unplanned visitor. And so Martha, yeah, she might be task-oriented, that might be her personality, but she knows the role of the of the uh, owner of the home when guests come in. Now, here's another thing she might be thinking of. A couple chapters before, Jesus tore into a dude who didn't fulfill all of these duties, right? If we go back to, to Luke chapter 7, Mary probably heard... The story, if they're friends with Jesus, maybe word got out like Jesus was in this home and this guy did this. Listen to what happens. Um, It's back in Luke chapter 7 when a woman is anointing Jesus and the owner of the home gets kind of frustrated with it. So Jesus turns to the woman and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So Jesus takes this guy to task because this woman was showing love and respect and, and loving on Jesus, and the owner of the home wasn't fulfilling his duties. So maybe Mary, as the owner of this home, take that and her task-minded uh, brain. She's thinking, it's not going to be me. I'm getting it all done. Jesus is getting his feet washed. He's getting his meal. He's getting his water. He's getting his head anointed with oil. Whatever she's got to do to fulfill those roles. Okay, think about when you know your mother-in-law is coming over, you treat your house a little bit differently, right? You do a little extra vacuuming, a little bit extra dusting. You make sure things are good. The meal is her favorite. Some of you, some of you are like, ah, eh, forget this. I don't, I don't even care anymore. But, but that's where Martha's at. Now, so that's Martha. Let's talk about Mary. This is where things get a little bit more fuzzy because uh, we're taking a very small amount of evidence to label Martha. And we're taking even less evidence to label Mary. But we're going to do it. Okay, and this is, I get a little bit annoyed at the way this is taught sometimes, and I'll I'll hit hit you with that in a second. But we label Mary as the relational one. Okay, so if Martha is task over people, Mary is people over task. Mary values relationships. She isn't a doer, she's a beer. Isn't that nice? Nice way to say it. Heard somebody say that once. Sounded really nice. That might be true. But later during another visit, we find Mary anointing Jesus, which sounds relational, but as I already said, that's part of the task list for a guest, right? So she's fulfilling that role all of a sudden. And then later when their brother Lazarus dies and Jesus finally shows up, Martha is the one that runs to Jesus and Mary hangs back. And so I think we need to slow down a little bit by saying Martha is just this task, this This uh, general and Mary is a super relational, feely, people person, because I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think we give them some mistake. We we mistake a little bit by going that far. And I think what we often do is we say, Martha was wrong. She was being task-oriented. Mary was right. She was being people-oriented. And we elevate one over the other. Now, Mary had obviously chosen the right thing in that moment. She had set the task list aside, and she was hanging out. But if personality traits are true, then there's no way Mary would have just been simply sitting at Jesus' feet on her own. Because if she's people-oriented, if she's extroverted, if she's relational, let's do this. How many of you would put yourselves in that category? You, you, You love people, you love hosting, you love just welcoming people into your home. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, now you know yourself. If that's you, and you're hosting in your home, are you sitting in one spot talking to one person the whole time? No! You're all over the place, right? Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're able to make. Let me, let me get this. Word. Do you need anything to drink? Do you need a refill on that? Okay. Oh, my gosh, how are you? we we got to catch up. Let's get together somewhere. Let's talk. And you are bouncing back and forth. Is this set? Is this set? Are you okay? Do you need anything? Let's you and I talk. And then while we're still talking, I'm thinking about talking with this person, right? Because you love people. You love the conversations. But there's too many to just narrow it down to one, right? So if, you're, if Mary is this relational, people-oriented giant, she still wouldn't be the one just sitting at Jesus' feet, right? There's other things that she would be doing. And so it's not this personality is the one God likes and this personality is the one that God doesn't like. It's not what it is. So how did Mary end up at Jesus' feet? This is really cool. There's another another dynamic at play. I found this in an article about ancient hospitality. It says this hospitality is regarded as a right for the guest and hospitality is granted as a duty by the host. Kind of lines up with what we've already talked about. Uh, Because the host knows that they themselves may very soon be dependent on someone else's hospitality. Both in Old Testament times and New Testament times, the granting of that right is surrounded by an etiquette that has made ancient hospitality so justly celebrated. The traveler is made the literal lord of the house during their stay. The host will perform for them the most servile tasks, and get this, and they will not even sit in the presence of their guest without an expressed request. A host would not dare sit in their guest's presence, let alone at their guest's feet, unless it was specifically requested that they do so. So if we go back to Luke 10 and read those last couple of verses again, where Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about a lot of things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Imagine the two responsibilities, the the two personalities at this party, right? They're doing what those two personalities do. Martha is all over the place. She's concerned about her task list. She's catching up on hosting duties, making sure that everything is set, taking care of anything that's long overdue. And Mary is also all over the place, making sure everyone is being loved on, catching up on conversations that are long overdue. And Jesus is says to both of them with both of their unique wirings and both of their unique personalities and says, hey, friends, come and sit with me. Don't just come and sit with me. Sit at my feet. Take a break from your task list. Take a break from all your other guests. Come and sit at my feet. Put yourself in a position of intimacy with me. Rest with me. Learn from me. Share yourself with me. There's only one thing needed for this entire gathering to be everything you want it to be. Me. And so whatever else these two amazing women represent, right, the different personality types, different profiles, whatever else they represent, they represent us. And their story represents the same invitation that Jesus extends to us. You work hard. I love that. Hey, you're enjoying people. I love that. That's what I do, right? You're fulfilling your role as a spouse, as a parent. You're doing your best to honor your parents and do the things that I've asked you to do. But hey, take a break. Come sit at my feet. Put yourself in that position of intimacy with with me. I want you to rest. I want you to learn from me. I want you to share yourself with me. There's only one thing needed for this day, to be everything that you want it to be. There's only one thing needed for this week, for this life, for this career, for this semester, to be everything that you want and need it to be. And that one thing is me. If you want to experience Jesus to his fullest, you have to develop the habit and the rhythm of getting away with him regularly. So questions, what's your daily habit of spending time with Jesus? Right? Are, are you taking in godly content on a daily basis, or are you just taking in Facebook and Twitter and whatever the news has to say to you, right? Are you taking in godly content? Are you sharing your life with him? Are you sharing your thoughts and your concerns and your, your fears and your celebrations with him? Are you getting quiet to let him speak into your life? Maybe that's taking a walk. Maybe that's getting in your your room or your office or your study and closing the door on whoever might be outside and just enjoying some quiet and letting him speak into your life. Maybe it's the porch swing on a nice cool evening, right? right? What's your daily habit of enjoying that quiet, restful, intimate moment with Jesus? What's your daily habit? What's your weekly habit? What's your weekly rhythm? Uh, Is it time with the body of Christ on a Sunday morning? Are you taking advantage of that? Is it it taking a day away and resting from your busyness, resting from your work? Do you have a day when you can rest? Is there weekly time with your spouse? Is there weekly time with the family that God has given you? What's your weekly rhythm of intimacy with Jesus and settling down from the things that he's called you to do in other parts of your life? What's your long-term rhythm? Do you take vacations? Do you take vacations without your kids, mom and dad? Are you taking some type of a spiritual retreat from time to time where you just get away from the phone, get away from the computer, and just spend 24 hours with your Bible and with Jesus and maybe some worship music? Do you have some goals for who you believe God wants you to be one year from now? What's your daily habit? What's your weekly rhythm? What's your annual rhythm? I've got just some quick tips and recommendations for you as we start to close up here. And the band's going to come back and uh, lead us in a couple more songs. If you're not in the Word regularly, I want to challenge you. Start today and read one psalm every day for the rest of the year. And guess what? There's even some cheat days mixed in there because there's a few more days left than there are psalms. There's 150 of them. Just hit one a day for the rest of the year and start that daily habit of intimacy, and taking in content from Christ. A couple books to recommend. If you're, if you're struggling being Martha, and the tasks are overwhelming, and there's too much work, and you've always got things going on, or you're struggling being the Mary, and you're too busy taking care of everyone else that you haven't had a chance to take care of yourself, I've got three books I want to recommend. Um, try them all. Try one of them. I think they'll all be helpful in this journey towards kind of simmering our souls a little bit and experiencing that intimacy with Jesus. First one is called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. That's by Ruth Haley Barton. Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Second one is called How's Your Soul? Pretty good question. That's by a pastor named Judah Smith. How's Your Soul? And the third one is one that's a little bit more recent. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Okay, I'm going to read those three again because there were very few heads bowed to your phone as you typed in some of the names of these books. First one is called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Second one is called How's Your Soul. The third one is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I think those three books would be worth checking out, and the book of Psalms definitely would be worth reading through the rest of this year and just hitting one psalm every day as the year goes on. Uh, We've got to begin, we've got to continue taking steps and responding to Jesus' request to sit at his feet and experience some intimacy with him because he says, hey, just come sit with me. Stop trying to accomplish everything. Stop trying to care for every single person. I want some time with you. Come sit at my feet. And the reality is, that's where it begins and ends. I don't know who showed up this morning. I see a lot of church people. That's fantastic. It's good to be back together. But maybe you wandered in here. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you've come in with your parents your whole life, and you showed up here, but you have never made the decision at all to not just sit at Jesus' feet, but to acknowledge Jesus your need for him in your life, to acknowledge your need for the forgiveness that he offers by dying on the cross and extending that gift to us. So I want to just take a minute before we wrap up and before the band gets going to just give you an opportunity because in order to sit at Jesus' feet, we have to believe that he was real. We have to believe that he was God believe that he came and lived a perfect sinless life on this planet for us and then sacrifice that life for us so that our mess, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made new and experience intimacy with God that isn't possible except through Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, let's all bow our head and close our eyes and we're just going to pray, but I want to start by giving an opportunity If you've never made that decision, it's as simple as this. It's as simple as saying, God, I believe you. I believe that Jesus came, that he died, and that he offers that gift of forgiveness and salvation to me. I believe that truth. I accept that truth. And I invite you into my life. God, I've been chasing everything and anything and everyone, but I haven't found what I need. I believe I'll find that in you. I love you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, if there's anything else that you're struggling with, any questions that you have, anything that we can be praying about for you, please let us know. Like I mentioned, the connection card at the beginning of the service. We're doing that all online right now, fieldstonechurch.org. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. Fill out that little form. Let us know whatever you want to let us know. Um, and we'll just pray for you if that's what you need. We'll give you a call if that's what you need. We'll answer a question if that's what you need. Um, We just want to be able to take care of you the best that we can. Let's stand. I'm going to pray again, and then the worship team's going to hit us with another couple songs. And this next one is really kind of right up the alley of what we've been talking about, that it's got to be Jesus, right? It's got to begin and end with Him, and we have to have that relationship. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. And as we worship one more time, I pray that you would speak to us through the lyrics. God, speak to our hearts in ways that only your Holy Spirit can. And may we walk out of here changed and ready to pursue you. Amen.